Do you have questions concerning your personal portfolio? And would you like to know where the market's going before it gets there? Then you need to tune in to Elite Masters of Trading, hosted by the Traders Coach, Robin Dane, every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Robin has great ideas on how to invest, save, and make money. So become an elite trader in the market every Wednesday at 10 a.m. with the Traders Coach, Robin Dane, and Elite Masters of Trading, right here on the Voice America Radio Network. This week on the Dragon Page with Michael and Evo, we have two more authors for you. Catherine Minvalente joins us to talk about Labyrinth, and then Gary Allen Wassner joins us to talk about The Twins, book one of the Gym Quest series. That's this week on the Dragon Page with Michael and Evo. The world leader in Internet talk radio. Internet talk radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today is a very sad day indeed, everywhere except Neverland. It's especially sad for children all over the world, children who now have more of a chance than ever, than they did the day before, of being molested. Why? Because the Michael Jackson jury came in not guilty. What happened? Where, what were they thinking? As many of my listeners know, um, I've talked about this topic before. We followed the trial, actually, before there even was a trial, because I've been very intimately involved um, with the goings-on of the bringing the, the trial um, to being to begin with. So I'm especially disillusioned and disappointed at how it all turned out. I want to give you a brief history, first of all, of my involvement so that you can understand how it is that I can give you sort of an inside scoop. Uh, although this is kind of a dubious honor at this point where everything went wrong. Um, it started out, my involvement started out in the early 90s when I was asked to be the psychiatric consultant to a biography of Michael Jackson being written by J. Randy Tarabarelli called The Magic and the Madness. And because of that and because of all of his research, um, I became privy to the inside story of Michael Jackson's childhood and growing up and family and so on and gave my opinions and analysis of all of this in the book. Then, um, as the years went by, uh, I was called upon from time to time to do interviews in the media uh, in regard to various events that occurred in Michael Jackson's life, partly because of my being the consultant on the book, but partly because that's what I get asked to do, to, to analyze various news events. Um, over the years, when um, we saw him being accused by Jordy Chandler in the early 90s, um, and then following all of his various exploits, particularly when he got his children, I uh, use the word got because we don't really know how he got them, um, 
other than Debbie Rowe was involved with at least two of them. But when he began to be a father, uh, and I was subsequently interviewed as well, uh, I would usually leave the interviews muttering to the crew, I can't believe that nobody does anything to take away his children. And indeed, uh, I was doing the same thing when he was uh, seen dangling his baby over the balcony, which was in November of 2002. And as I walked away from a few interviews uh, and said the same thing, I started thinking to myself, well, who is it that I'm expecting to do something about Michael Jackson not being a fit father? And why is it that I'm not doing anything? Because in California, psychiatrists uh, are mandated to report suspected cases of child abuse or child endangerment. And so I, without any fanfare, wrote a two-page letter of complaint to Santa Barbara Child Protective Services and talked about um, how the baby dangling illustrated some of the reasons why I thought he was a not a fit father to begin with, such as his not being able to relate to his children as living human beings. Um, I described his relationship to the baby that he dangled over the balcony as his treating him like a doll. And only later I found out in the uh, documentary that aired in February 2003, Living with Michael Jackson, that indeed... That was what Debbie Rowe um, was thinking of when she gave him as a present these two children. Uh, Michael said that she saw him um, and, and walking around um, with dolls, and, and he thought that she thought that he needed a baby. He needed to have a baby and be a father. And um, so the, the complaint was sent off, and I followed it up. I called Santa Barbara Child Protective Services several times to see what was happening with my complaint, and they would tell me that they were assessing it. And, of course, nothing really much happened. They didn't go to the door of Neverland, knock on the door, as Child Protective Services usually does for um, reports of suspected child abuse or child endangerment, and their excuse for that was that Michael Jackson had a big gate in the front of Neverland. They didn't go to any school uh, to to interview the children because presumably his children don't go to a regular school. And so they said that they couldn't interview him in that way, which is frequently the way that they do interview children who are where there's suspected cases of child abuse or child endangerment. But these excuses were really quite um, lame uh, since if this had been some other neighborhood, a less affluent neighborhood or a less, a less, less of a celebrity, uh, the idea that somebody didn't want to open their door or that their children weren't going to school would not stop Child Protective Services for anyone else. And so um, since one of the things that they told me at the time was that uh, since nobody had witnessed Michael Jackson being a danger to his children, that that was another reason why they weren't really going to do anything. But after the documentary aired, Living with Michael Jackson, um, in February 2003, it seemed to me that everyone, we all, all of the people who viewed that documentary, had been witnesses to what had gone on. And I then wrote a much lengthier complaint, 
and gave 18 reasons why Michael Jackson's children should be taken away. Not permanently, the idea was taken away until he gets sufficient psychiatric treatment and parenting lessons to be a good father. Of course, that would probably take a long time, um, but nonetheless, it wasn't it wasn't to be a an absolute um, taking away. What happened with that complaint, uh, which I which I gave to L.A. Child Protective Services after holding a press conference on their steps, um, the complaint included a description of the boy who then later on became the current accuser. And we're going to have to find a new uh, description for him since, <laughs> since the trial is over and unless they have a uh, civil suit, which I do hope they will, um, it's hard to call him the current accuser anymore. But for purposes of uh, today, we will do that. Um, since I described in my complaint that this boy, the current accuser, seemed as though he had already been molested in the documentary, that spurred an investigation into the boy. Now, how did what made me think that he had already been molested? First of all, it's years of uh, treating and evaluating children who have been molested, and also um, doing a lot of expert witness work in which uh, I do these, these evaluations for purposes of trials. So I felt very comfortable with my experience and my track record of being able to identify those children who have indeed been molested, even when the child does not admit that at first. So um, the reasons why I thought that he had been molested, watching the, the documentary, included uh, both his body language and what he said. His body language, we all saw him holding hands with Michael Jackson, but in addition to that, there was a closeness with which he stood uh, and leaned onto Michael Jackson, a closeness that belies intimacy. Uh, he was very comfortable and used to and familiar with being that close to Michael Jackson. Also, he looked up at him with lovesick puppy dog eyes during the documentary, and he had a very submissive kind of demeanor towards Michael. In addition to that, he said uh, in the documentary, the, the current accuser said, that Michael had said to him, if you love me, you will sleep in my bed. Now, Michael then went on to, to say that what he meant was that he would sleep on the floor and the boy would sleep in his bed, and he wanted the boy to do that. But that's not the point. The point is that language, if you love me, you will do something, is classic pedophile language, number one. And number two, it's exactly what Jordy Chandler, the boy who accused Michael in 1993 of having molested him and with whom Michael settled out of court, for uh, over $20 million. And in court papers that were filed on Jordy Chandler's behalf, there are instances where he talks about Michael having said to him, if you love me, you will do, and you fill in the blank with various sex acts. And that idea, if you love me, it's a manipulative tool. It's a way of um, getting a child to do what you want because the child wants 
well, in these cases, don't, doesn't want to lose the love, so to speak, of Michael Jackson, and therefore will be more willing uh, in those circumstances to do what he wants. And of course, Michael, we've seen, as classic pedophiles do, picks children who uh, are particularly susceptible to his celebrity status, his money, his power over them. These are children who are often sick, just like the current accuser. He was ill with cancer at the time that he met Michael. Um, children who are poor, certainly the current accuser was poor. Jordy Chandler wasn't really poor, but um, his mother uh, certainly could have <laughs> found ways to spend Michael's money, and that wasn't the only reason why she was willing to allow Jordy to be involved because the, the, the third um, descriptor that uh, defines the kinds of victims Michael has chosen has been parents who have been negligent and willing to prostitute their children in order to be looked upon favorably by this superstar. When we come back, I will talk about what went wrong Five Reasons Why the Michael Jackson Jury Failed to Convict. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Informative. Educational. Insightful. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Information you need, when you need it, voiceamerica.com. Do you have questions concerning your personal portfolio? And would you like to know where the market's going before it gets there? Then you need to tune in to Elite Masters of Trading, hosted by the Traders Coach, Robin Day, every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Robin has great ideas on how to invest, save, and make money. So become an elite trader in the market every Wednesday at 10 a.m. with the Traders Coach, Robin Dane, and Elite Masters of Trading, right here on the Voice America Radio Network. Hello, this is Rory Gouray, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dog. 
If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Continuing to be the authority in Internet talk radio, you're listening to voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about the Michael Jackson verdict and what went wrong, and I just gave you a little background as to my involvement um, with the whole history of Michael Jackson and his life and his childhood. And therefore, my uh, complaint that I just talked about, the uh, second complaint to Child Protective Services, in which I mentioned the boy who then became the current accuser, was, is what spurred Child Protective Services not to take Michael Jackson's children away, but to investigate the boy because of the things that I just described to you. And so... Um, Subsequent to that, I spent um, two days during this trial in Santa Maria, one day sitting in the courtroom, uh, observing all the players, Michael, his attorneys, uh, Tom Snedden, the jury, the parents of Michael Jackson, which they were particularly uh, interesting because really they made him the way he is and... Uh, I don't know that they were feeling guilty enough throughout this, but um, certainly now they feel vindicated and probably think that they were just great parents back into denial, as I'm sure they are. Um, yesterday, when uh, the verdict was read, well, actually, before the verdict was read and we saw Michael walking into the courtroom, I actually felt sorry for him. Not so sorry that I didn't want to see him convicted because... Um, I think that uh, that would have been the more accurate decision. But he looked scared to death. He looked like he was sure that he was going to be convicted. He could, he was, he was stone. He was, um, he was unmoving. Now, of course, some of that may well be the pain medication that he's on and whatever else he's on. But, um, but you had to feel somewhat sorry for him, especially since I must say that I was sure that he was going to be convicted. I'm not sure. You can't ever be sure. But I, I certainly, I guess I had more hope in our judicial system um, where I did think that he was going to be convicted at least of some of the counts. I didn't think he was going to be convicted of the conspiracy charges because I thought that the defense team had painted the mother to be such a horrible person, and she certainly helped herself to uh, to make the jury dislike her. It wasn't all the defense team. She, she did probably most of it herself. Um, but I, so I thought that they wouldn't believe that um, when she was getting body waxes and all that, that she couldn't um, leave. But I didn't think their dislike for the mother uh, would have carried over and caused them or be one of the main causes for them to uh, decide that he was not guilty on any of the counts. And that, um, what's really sad is hearing the jury after the verdict talk to the media and wondering um, 
what their thinking process was. I mean, seeing what it was to some degree and realizing, or at least in my opinion, this is all my professional opinion, um, seeing that they weren't thinking straight or that things were interfering with the way that they were thinking. And uh, let me go now into some of these things, some of these reasons, five reasons, why they came up with this not guilty verdict. First of all, the timeline. Now, this is the one thing that I can't really blame the jury for. Um, Even though yesterday I was shocked that he wasn't found guilty of at least some of the charges, I must say that a long time ago, I had been worried about the fatal flaw of Tom Snedden stating that the timeline was, as he described it to be, uh, the case, the charges that he made were only regarding incidents of molestation that occurred after the documentary had aired. And I told Tom Snedden, as soon as I heard about this, that this was not the way to go because it was not believable that after the documentary aired, that Michael Jackson would first start to molest this boy when suspicions were focused on him after he talked about uh, sleeping with boys in his bed and not thinking that there's anything wrong with it, and particularly after I had focused people on this boy and the fact that he looked like he had already been molested. And... This would not be the time when Michael, if he hadn't already molested the boy, would think, hmm, that's a good idea. I think I will molest him. So it wasn't credible. He may well indeed have continued molesting the boy. I don't doubt that. But the idea to try, that one should try to convince a jury that these acts of molestation first started after the documentary just would not ring true. In anyone's mind. I mean, nobody believed that, obviously, and particularly not the jury. And um, the reason why I believe that he did that uh, was to try to avoid explaining why the boy had it first when he was asked by Child Protective Services and the Sheriff's Department after my complaint to Child Protective Services, when he was interviewed and asked about whether Michael Jackson had ever molested him, he said no, which is an extremely typical reaction of children who have been molested, especially when, at least in one instance, there was a security guard from Michael Jackson hovering in the background. But instead of having a, um, a, uh, an effective psychiatric expert witness who could explain to the jury about children denying at first that they were molested for all kinds of reasons, one, because they want to deny it to themselves, they wish that it would just go away, they're ashamed, they don't want to admit that this happened because most children feel that they had some role in it, even though that's not true. It's always the adult's fault, even though some child molesters like to try to say, well, the child seduced me into this. Of course it's always the fault and the responsibility of the adult, never the child. Regardless of what the child's fantasies may be, it is up to the adult to have this responsibility. 
There are other reasons why children don't tell, such as being uh, threatened by the molester, which certainly could have been the case. The typical threats are that the molester will have the family, a family member or several family members, hurt or killed if the child tells. Um, one threat, a simple threat, and certainly uh, one that the child could have felt in regard to Michael Jackson would be that he would lose Michael Jackson's love and attention. This was a boy who felt as though he owed his life to Michael Jackson because he survived cancer. And the idea of Michael taking away his love and attention and the attention that he showered on his family and the financial um, favors that he showered on the family, obviously that alone would be enough to try to deter the boy from uh, telling. So there were numerous reasons um, fear, shame, not wanting to get his mother into trouble, a whole bunch of reasons that children typically have. And so instead of um, dealing with these, confronting these head-on, explaining these head-on to a jury from the get-go, Tom Snedden decided, let's just say that the molestation started after he said that to Child Protective Services and the sheriffs and all that, that he hadn't been molested. Let's just say it started later, and that's why he didn't tell. And that was the fatal flaw. And I told Tom that, and there's no, um, there's no gratification in, in saying, I, tell, I told you so at this time, because, um, because it's lost. It's lost. The, 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 it's all over, and, uh, and it's very sad. And in fact... When the jurors were being interviewed about this, they did refer to the timeline. That was one of the questions that the media asked the jurors after they gave the verdict. And there was a juror who said, um, that was very confusing. It was a question. The timeline was a concern. Um, she said, we, we took good notes. So in other words, they took good notes and they saw that these things did not hang together. And it is so predictable. In, in all of my experience with cases as an expert witness, whenever an attorney has tried, whatever kind of case, it's not just child molestation, but whenever an attorney decides artificially to um, withhold some piece of information because they think that that would affect the jury um, one way or the other and, and uh, you know, obviously not in favor of their client, um, it always comes back to bite you in the end because something comes out that you don't expect. Um, the witness doesn't look comfortable on the stand because they know they're not telling the truth completely, and that was part of what happened with this boy. I think part of the reason why he had all these inconsistent statements some of that is normal because of anxiety, because of uh, early on not wanting to admit to all of the acts of molestation, et cetera, et cetera. There, all of these things can really be explained. It wasn't such a big deal, except that the, the defense made it a big deal, and the prosecution didn't have a good expert to refute it and to explain why these things could happen. But I think even more uh, serious than all of that was the fact that the boy was very uncomfortable because he knew he wasn't telling the truth in terms of telling all of the instances of molestation, everything that he remembered. And so one time it was two, and one time it was five. And, you know, because he wasn't sure from when, I mean, it's hard enough to remember exactly when these things happened because 
your mind normally represses these things. Children, adults, we don't want to remember the painful moments, and so it's just normal to push these things into your unconscious mind and to not remember all of the occasions at all the times. But when you have something superimposed on you, don't tell about the earlier molestations. It makes you very uncomfortable, and it gives you a sense of not telling the truth that the jury can pick up on. And they don't realize that it's because you're, you're not telling all of the molestations. They can interpret it to the fact that you're lying in general. So that was the fatal flaw. Stay tuned. I'll talk about four more reasons as to what went wrong all the reasons why the Michael Jackson jury failed to convict him. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Are you feeling stuck in some part of your life? You might have some crush busting to do. Crush is anything that you think, feel, or believe that prevents you from living life full out. Step into the crust-free zone with me, Dr. Pat Vasily, and get ready to do some serious crust-busting. Join us on Thursday mornings on VoiceAmerica.com at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for crust-busting your way to an awesome life. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have a nationally known guest that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender, heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, here on VoiceAmerica.com. Cutting edge, challenging, stimulating. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. When tax time comes, are you the person that goes to your accountant with a shoebox literally full of receipts? Stop wasting your accountant's time as well as your own by organizing your finances with the help of Joe Dunphy and Poor Richard Shoebox. Heard live every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Poor Richard Shoebox will let you know what you can do to organize for tax time as well as how to get the most out of your retirement. So get all of your receipts together and tune in to Poor Richard Shoebox with Joe Dunphy every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on the Voice America Radio Network. Business, sports, religion, legal, pets, entertainment. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. A sad day indeed. Everywhere except Neverland. We're talking about what went wrong, five reasons why the Michael Jackson jury failed to convict him. We talked first about the timeline, the fatal flaw, now let's talk about celebrity status. This is a little more complex than what we saw, for example, with the OJ trial, where people didn't want to believe that their favorite football player, um, and, and of course there was racism as an issue there too, So, but certainly his celebrity status and um, his ability to pay for a legal dream team was crucial to his getting off and um, getting away with murder. And now we see somebody getting away with molestation. Somebody who's a celebrity. But it's not just that they were a celebrity and people don't want to believe. I mean, look at his fans. Granted, there weren't that many of them, but they were devoted. Um, people don't want to believe that a celebrity who they thought well of uh, could do these kinds of horrendous things. But... It was a little more complex in the, in, the, in the case of Michael Jackson because the jurors were from the small town of Santa Maria, the local neighborhood where Michael was from, close enough to where he lives. They felt like they were his neighbors. He was their celebrity. Everyone from the media all over the world converged on this little town of Santa Maria. It wasn't like it was in L.A., and it wasn't like, um, you know, where people here, for example, in a big city um, might well, you know, like him or not want to see him be convicted or be guilty because they're fans of his. But this was more personal. This was more intimate. They were his neighbors. They had so many of the people there have experienced um, his generosity. Apparently, you know, he had uh, done a lot of... Uh, been very generous to the children up there in terms of having people visit Neverland a lot, giving some money to the schools and to pay for children's um, children in the hospital, children's hospital bills, things like that, which surely some of the members of the jury must have known. And so, and, and to be a little more cynical, one would wonder how much of that was uh, done just, just for this uh, potential eventuality that he would be put on trial there. Uh, that isn't to say that he doesn't love children uh, in one sense and that he doesn't want to rescue them. I think he does. But there's also a darker side. And this um, factor that he is their celebrity, it made these jurors feel as though it was them against the world. It was them against all the people who had descended upon their neighborhood in Santa Maria, all of the media who represented the rest of the world. And um, because of that, they wanted to protect him. It was them against the world, and the them included Michael Jackson. The third reason why things went wrong, the mother. Um, that was so obvious in this interview of the jurors after the verdict. They were asked a lot of questions at the beginning, and they were all kind of quiet. They didn't want to talk about it. Um, 
They just gave very general answers, like we considered all the evidence, really nothing particularly interesting and nothing particularly emotional, until they were asked about the accuser's mother. And the emotion that they spouted forth with explained it all. They said, there was one juror in particular who said, when asked, whether it troubled them that Michael Jackson slept in the bed with all these children. And they asked for a parent, the the journalist asked for a parent on the jury to answer this. And juror number 10 said, "Um, what mother in her right mind would allow that to happen? And, you know, it's interesting. That was the most striking comment that I heard. Um, and it has been replayed in the media a lot. If, if they're replaying any one comment, it is that woman saying that. What mother in her right mind would allow that to happen? Now, allow what to happen? If they just had decided that he was not guilty, then what would be the danger? What would happen? And then um, when she was asked whether she thought that the mother was at greater fault for what happened than Michael Jackson, she said, I'd like to comment on that, but I probably shouldn't. Boy, what does that mean? Why shouldn't she? Because it would reveal the thought processes that were going on inside that jury room that shouldn't have been. And then another juror talked about um, how the mother had said that some things were, uh, that, that, her memories of um, some things that had gone on with Michael Jackson in regard to molestation were burned right there, you know, burned in her brain. And uh, one juror made the snide remark, I, I bet you, something like that, I'm paraphrasing here, but a lot of things were probably burned right there, really putting down the mother, basically saying that she was nuts and that, you know, she had had a lot of drama in her life, and yes, she had had a lot of drama in her life, and yes, she could benefit from uh, psychotherapy, intensive psychotherapy. Um, But that doesn't mean that her child wasn't molested. In fact, it means that she was more easily manipulated by Michael Jackson. And then another juror, who was an older woman, who was really, um, you know, came out with this spontaneously, and you could just tell that this was the moment for her when she decided Michael Jackson wasn't going to be guilty of anything. She said that the mother had, there was a time when the mother had snapped her fingers at the jury in regard to something. And um, this woman, this juror, said uh, that she felt, don't snap your fingers at me, lady. But the way that she said it, you know, you could, you, and the way just looking at her, don't snap your fingers at me, lady. And that was it. For her, in her mind, consciously or unconsciously, she was done. She was going to get back at this mother by not saying, not allowing, not um, deciding that Michael Jackson was guilty of anything. And that is really sad. Um, you know, it, what's sad about it, a lot of things are sad about it, but one thing that's sad about it is that this child, the accuser, has been punished twice. Not only did he have to live a life where she was his mother, he only gets one mother, and this woman, with her problems and her drama, Um, was it. And obviously, that in itself would have been very difficult and painful to live through. But now, 
um, he gets punished for having a mother like this a second time, a mother who sold him to Michael Jackson for Michael Jackson's attention, his money, his gifts, his making her feel special. Um, now he's getting punished a second time for having the courage to come forward and tell people about his being molested. It, um, it's really, this is the kind of thing, these emotional witnesses, these emotional events that occur in trials that really have, at the very least, an unconscious, powerful effect on the jury such that they think they're deciding things based upon logic. I mean, um, particularly they talked about how they couldn't decide that he was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, so they think that it's all logic. You know, they're, they're thinking this all out. They they kept referring to how much they looked at the evidence. But if you're already unconsciously influenced by not liking the mother of the accuser, that pulls a lot more weight than your logic um, as to reasoning why you're going to decide on one verdict or the other. The fourth reason as to what went wrong was the prosecution experts. In particular, the psychologist who uh, examined the boy, I don't know what he was thinking. It's um, an embarrassment. Um, since I do this kind of work as an expert witness quite a bit over 10 years, um, I can tell glaringly what it was missing. And what was missing was his having spent enough time with this boy to allow the boy to trust him enough and to develop a good enough therapeutic alliance so that the boy would tell him about all the incidents that went on and tell him about all of his feelings. Certainly there was enough time between the time that he first saw the boy and the time that this trial first started to spend many, many hours with the boy. And if he had helped the boy to come to terms with what had happened to him, to understand how he felt about all these things that happened, to give the boy more insights into all of this, then the boy would have been sitting on the stand being a lot more comfortable in his own skin, understanding what went on, and he would have been able to become much more credible to the jury and much more sympathetic to the jury. But instead, what they saw was a boy who, because he was still confused and mixed up and anxious and depressed and upset and, and hadn't really come to terms with it, they saw a boy who was very defensive and who seemed like it didn't matter, and they made a big deal about how the boy had been doing better now. You know, they never explained why when the people at the uh, Neverland Ranch said that the boy you know, was acting out. They never connected the dots for the jury to say that that's what children do when they get molested. They do act out in these inappropriate ways. Instead, they just presented things that made this boy look like a troublemaker and then tried to show, well, now he's, you know, doing better. And all the way around, it was just not credible. It did not ring true because they weren't really telling the whole story. And this boy could not do better than he did because he didn't understand things well enough himself. And that was largely the fault of the psychologist who should have been spending a lot more time with him. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I'm talking about the Michael Jackson verdict and what went wrong.
bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. You want the truth? Face the facts. This is VoiceAmerica.com. Depend on it. Hello, this is Rory Gray, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound. Discuss proper obedience and training techniques. And find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dog. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The world leader in Internet talk radio. Internet talk radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about the aftermath of the Michael Jackson jury decision, the failure to convict, what went wrong. I've talked to you today so far about... Uh, there were five main reasons, five, five things that went wrong. Um, first of all, the timeline, talked about that. His celebrity status, especially his being a celebrity, a local celebrity that they wanted to protect, the mother, and the jury's strong reaction to her, and they're punishing the boy a second time, not only for having a mother like that, but for coming forward and telling about the molestation and then allowing her, not that he had much to say about it, but uh, then her coming and ruining the trial as well. Four, we're talking about the prosecution experts, and I was talking about the psychologist who should have been much more involved and done a much better job of um, doing therapy with the boy. I'd hate to think, I just hate to think that this had to do with money, <laughs> but um, I have a sneaking suspicion that that might have been a part of it. You know, obviously the family was very poor, and I don't know that the perhaps the uh, 
Santa Barbara DA's office didn't have the money to pay for it, but you know, <laughs> there are some things you do pro bono just because it's the right thing to do. So I just hope that that wasn't part of it. But, I mean, I, I, I can't think of an excuse that would be um, a good enough excuse. So whatever it is, uh, there is no way that he should have allowed that child to be on the stand being still as confused and raw and unable to describe what went on as he was because he was unable to describe it to himself. And as I talked about earlier in the show, I think part of the boy's problem was that he was being told by Tom Snedden to not talk about the events that occurred before um, the documentary aired, but only those that occurred after, and it was confusing enough to try to remember what happened when. The fifth problem uh, reason why they came up with what, in my professional opinion, was the wrong verdict was witnesses and testimony missing in action. Um, probably a lot of you have heard already about, but not, not as many as should have heard, and certainly you didn't hear about it as early as you should have. It is just unbelievable that this did not come out sooner, soon enough to be able to do something for the trial. But there was a Vanity Fair article that actually just came out in the July issue um, that reported allegations, well, reported a lot of things behind the scenes of the Michael Jackson trial, trial that hadn't come out soon enough. But I think the most serious was allegations um, that Brian Oxman, the attorney who was summarily dismissed in the middle of the trial, offered Jordy Chandler, the accuser of 93, who um, received a settlement of over $20 million, allegations that Brian Oxman offered Jordy Chandler a blank check not to testify. And the fact that this uh, information came out in the July issue, which surely was too little too late, you got to wonder how long this reporter was sitting on that. And you got to wonder whether she, for her own ego, saved it for Vanity Fair uh, rather than reporting it in the media in a medium that would have been more immediate, you know, doing a television interview, doing a radio interview, um, doing something that would have gotten this information out while it still might have been useful to the prosecutor to bring it up in the trial or to get a mistrial declared or tampering with witnesses or whatever he, however he would have used it and could have used it. But for it to come out now when it was all over, <laughs> we were waiting for the fat lady to sing, um, really was, was a terrible thing to do. And, um, you know, the magazines, as I'm sure many of you know, have long lead times, especially monthly magazines. Vanity Fair comes out once a month, and uh, so there's a long lead time, and they would have had to have sat on that information for too long rather than bring it out in some other medium. Yes, they wouldn't have been the one to uh, have it come out, and they wouldn't have sold as many as many magazines, perhaps, because... Um, they did a lot of publicity to get people to buy this magazine when this information did come out in that, but they might have done something a lot more valuable, such as change the course of this trial. Um, it is very sad that Jordy Chandler didn't testify. Um, 
I'm not saying that he did accept. There's no evidence that he accepted any money to not testify. Uh, it seems more likely that he just didn't want to testify because because he didn't want to be in the spotlight again and didn't want to have to suffer the humiliation of, of um, being seen by the world as having been molested by Michael Jackson. I was hoping perhaps to keep his um, picture out of the newspapers, out of the media, which didn't happen in the end anyway. He did get into the media. And um, this was a great disservice to himself, to himself more even than the other victims. I mean, of course, it was a disservice to the boy who was the current accuser for him to not come in and help because his testimony would have been the most convincing if he would have talked about some of the things that Michael did to him that the current accuser would have described uh, that Michael did to him. The jury would have seen the parallels. They would have perhaps been convinced that... Um, that, you know, these are classic signs of a pedophile. I talked early on in the show about uh, the example of the current accuser saying that on the documentary that Michael had said to him, if you love me, you will sleep in my bed. And Jordy Chandler had said over 10 years before that that, um, that Michael had said to him, if you love me, you will do various sex acts. Um, the same language, and this is just too much to be a coincidence. This is classic pedophile language and classic pedophile acts. And so if Jordy would have testified, it certainly would have helped in this current case. It would have helped other victims. Um, and most of all, it would have helped himself because now he not only has to live with the wounds from Michael's abuse, that he suffered, that he is still suffering from with his $20 million. He is hiding out um, in order to to try to avoid being made fun of, even as a young man. Um, and now, he, in addition to these wounds from Michael's abuse, he's going to have to have the constant memory, the shame of knowing that he was too much of a coward to come forward during this trial when he could have helped somebody else. And that's that's going to be equally bad to live with. That's going to haunt him as much as the scars from Michael's abuse, and it's very, very sad. It's sad for everybody, and that's kind of how I started out this show, saying it's a sad day everywhere except Neverland, and uh, it's sad for all the children who have been molested or will be molested. It's uh, sad that this is going to give the green light to pedophiles all over the world who you know, now feel that Michael Jackson gave them the green light to have little boys or little girls sleeping in their beds to share their love, as Michael Jackson said, and um, it gave them the false security that they will get away with it too, that there's nothing wrong with this. Hey, this uh, international superstar says... You know, it's fine, it's great to share your love and invite little kids into your bed. And worst of all, well, not worst of all, it's pretty bad. <laughs> There's so many people that it's bad for. The boy, you know, this boy didn't get $20 million. He can't hide out the way Jordy Chandler can. What is he going to get? He's going to get ridiculed. He's going to get people, uh, just like he had after the documentary aired, his peers made fun of him, told him that he was gay, told him he had slept with Michael Jackson. They were already intuitive enough to realize from the way he appeared in the video that something had happened, something sexual had happened. Where is he going to hide? How do you think he feels today? Um, it was hard enough going up against Michael Jackson. He battled cancer and won. I wouldn't be surprised if all the stress of the trial and now not being believed by these jurors, 
doesn't cause um, him to have a relapse of the cancer, which would, you know, that would be the final straw to this tragedy. But it's also sad for children everywhere who have been molested or are now more likely to be molested and who will be afraid, more afraid to come forward, more ashamed to come forward, more hopeless that if they come forward, no one's going to believe them anyway. And, of course, it's sad for the judicial system. I'm ashamed to all my international listeners. i, I got to tell you that I'm really ashamed of what this says about the American judicial system. I mean, you can put a positive spin on it, as some people have done, and say, well, this shows that, you know, not everybody is convicted in America. You're presumed innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, well, that's great. But, you know, something has to be done to fix this system where jurors, and make decisions based on their unconscious emotions rather than what they really see and what the facts are. Something also has to be changed as far as the way district attorneys and other lawyers present their cases. It ain't right uh, to fool around with the truth, and this proved it. Should not The timeline should not have been changed. All of the things should have been told. Jurors could have accepted that better and making everyone uptight, the victim particularly, by not telling the whole truth, not telling about all the times, the times before the documentary when he was molested, not just the ones after. I thank you for listening. I hope this has given you uh, things to think about. And if you're a parent, I certainly hope um, you don't make the same mistake of um, allowing your children to be exposed to potential pedophiles. we got to keep them safe. And if there are people out there who have been molested, whatever your age, please, please tell. There has to be a backlash to this. There has to be a way to convict more pedophiles. This is an increasing epidemic. This is just a sick, increasing epidemic. And this verdict, the failure to convict, has only helped to make it worse. We all have to be a lot more vigilant. You've been listening to VoiceAmerica.com. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and this has been Dr. Carol's Couch. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.